Welcome back to How They Train. Today, I'm joined by professional triathlete, Hannah Wales. This year, Hannah won Ironman New Zealand, a notoriously hard Ironman to win in a really dominant way and has racked up about 1070.3 or middle distance race wins over the last few years. Hannah, thanks so much for joining me. Um, how's your training going at the moment? Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, training at the moment is a little bit different uh, just because I'm currently uh, in home isolation after arriving back into New Zealand about nine days ago. Um, so initially when we arrived back, we were in hotel quarantine uh, for seven days. And then um, once we left that, we can go home, but we have to stay home until we get a negative COVID test back. So right now I'm actually stuck at, at home. <laughs> so uh, my training is limited to the wind trainer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Cause this is actually really interesting because um, from the outside, like looking in and, and hearing about New Zealand, they seem to have some of the, the like str- strictest lockdowns in, in probably the world. And like your quarantine has been sort of, um, I'd say like a, a little bit infamous um, on, on our news. I know that in Australia, I'm not sure what it's like in, uh, in other countries. So as an athlete, I'm sure that's been really tricky. Um, but do you prepare for, for that? Like knowing you, you have like a, you know, a 14 day or a seven day quarantine or whatever it is. And like, have you gone and bought like a treadmill or, you know, uh, like a endless swim, swim spa or something like that? Like, do you, do you prepare for it or are you just sort of taken as, as it comes? Um, no, I haven't really prepared for it. No. Um, I actually have a little bit of a quad niggle at the moment. So, uh, I'm having a little bit of a break from running to let that settle anyway. And I didn't go and buy a swim spa. <laughs> I'll just wait. <laughs> I'll just wait until the uh, quarantine is up and the first sort of couple of weeks and back in the pool will probably feel pretty terrible. But, um, I know that sort of after that time, um, you know, the fitness comes back pretty quick if you put the work in and, and I'm actually not that worried about it, to be honest. Um, the number of times um, we've had interruptions, especially to swimming probably because, you know, pool closures and so on um, over the last two years. And I know a lot of other athletes have had the same. Um, I don't know, I've kind of learned that while it, it sucks at the time um, when you can't train, it's not the end of the world as well. Um, and fitness comes back. <laughs> So, um, no, I'm just sort of taking it my stride. I'm still getting on the wind trainer every day, um, actually twice a day. <laughs> and, yeah, once I, I'm free from here, which actually could be any moment now because um, we're due to get our tests back sort of from now onwards, um, I'll just get back into the pool and, yeah, get back into training properly. Um, and I've just sort of used this little time, the MIQ and, and the home isolation as a, as a mini off-season, I guess, um, before getting back into training. Yeah. And, and so have you found this year that as like a New, a New Zealand professional um, athlete, that it's been much harder to, to get motivated for training, knowing that, you know, these events might not go ahead or has your year not really changed that much compared to, you know, pre-COVID years? Um, so I was actually lucky enough to get out of New Zealand um, and I spent, so we left in June and went to Australia to Noosa uh, to train. And initially we planned to be there for six weeks, um, but then the travel bubble closed and we made the decision to not go back to New Zealand because I figured with um, the lockdown in New Zealand, it looked pretty unlikely that anything was going to happen in terms of events and also training was going to be very difficult. Um, so we made the call to stay overseas and those six weeks that we planned actually ended up being six months by the time we could get home. Um, so for me this year, I haven't actually been in New Zealand, um, that much. I've been overseas, which has actually been really, like, I've been really fortunate to be overseas and got a couple of races in, um, which meant that I had things to, to plan for, um, and, you know, train for, um, but, you know, it was all sort of made up on the go as we were overseas. Um, after Noosa, we actually went over to the U S which I never planned on doing, um, when I left New Zealand, but yeah, I don't know. We just saw it as an opportunity to, while we were overseas and out of New Zealand where um, there was no racing, why not try and find some races? So um, yeah, that's how we ended up in Florida. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I guess we'll jump away from COVID a bit. Everyone's pretty sick of hearing about it. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to talk about a few things with you. Um, I reckon in particular, and, and we'll go back, you know, over your career a little bit, but particularly, um, Ironman New Zealand this year. Uh, I, I thought that was a really impressive performance. Um, p- 
particularly on the bike, like you were, I, I'm not sure if this is unfair to say, but I, I felt like you were like at least one level above every other female in that, in that race on the bike. It was almost like, it, it was just like, um, it, it was almost like, oh, we're watching a truly world-class performance here and, and no one can, can match what Hannah's doing on that day. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about your, your training leading up to that race and, and how everything went going into it? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> you say that, but on race day at Ironman New Zealand, I um, actually didn't feel that great on the bike. <laughs> um, so it's just sort of funny what, you know, people see in the reality of a race performance. Um, I actually, like when I got onto the bike, I had quite a high heart rate for the power that I was pushing. Um, so I actually had to, from the start, I made the decision to sort of dial back my planned power number and take the conservative approach, I guess, because it was my first Ironman. Um, and even though I did that, because I, I guess I slowed up and didn't blow myself up, um, the bike performance still ended up being pretty good. Um, and that's just due to it being consistent across the full 180 kilometers rather than a really good 120 kilometers and then fading at the end. Um, so it's funny that you say that, but um, my training into it. Um, so I, up until my Ironman build for Ironman New Zealand, I hadn't been a huge volume athlete. Um, my long rides up until, you know, the last uh, three months probably, or maybe two and a half months into the race, uh, my long ride would only be about three hours. And so my training definitely did change when I switched to the full distance. And I didn't do a huge number of the really long rides, but I think I would have done maybe three, maybe four to five long rides maybe five might be a push actually, maybe about four long rides from memory um, where it was, you know, getting close to that 170 kilometer um, mark. I don't think I ever reached 180 kilometers in my build and, you know, usually had a bit of Ironman intensity into those. So it wasn't like a, a crazy long build where I did ridiculous um, volume, but I think for me, the the secret probably is just trying to remain consistent um, in my training and you don't have to do those really stupid, crazy long, um, or maybe not stupid, but they're actually quite fun. But the, you know, the really long, massive sessions, it's more about, you know, the, the tra training week in and week out and just ticking through, um, yeah, ticking through training and, and trying to stay consistent rather than doing anything uh, too dramatic. Yeah, and did you do a um, a specific block leading into Ironman New Zealand where like I don't, you got together with your coach and you said, okay, for these weeks, like for this eight weeks or this twelve weeks or whatever it was, where we're targeting Ironman New Zealand, and you went really specific towards that, and and there was like a noticeable shift in your training. Yes, I did do that. Yeah, I think because up until that point, you know, my volume, my long rides weren't um, long enough really for the Ironman distance considering I hadn't done an Ironman yet. Um, so we did make sort of a conscious um, switch into right, okay, let's sort of target the Ironman distance here and we're gonna build into doing um, a few key sessions before the race to make sure that we're prepared. And so, you know, that whole um, summer basically from, you know, December, December, January, February was, um, targeted towards Ironman New Zealand really. And I did a couple of um, halves in that time, but again, those, I remember doing challenge Wanaka and, and for the run, I had to stay under a, heart, a certain heart rate for the run because I wanted to practice, um, I guess a slightly lower run intensity and, and remaining, yeah. And just sort of, oh, and actually that's right. And also cause Ironman New Zealand was supposed to be only two weeks after challenge Wanaka, which was, a little bit close, but then it ended up being much longer due to COVID, um, putting a delay on the race. But um, yeah, so that whole summer really was um, targeting Ironman New Zealand for me. Yeah. Okay. And so um, was just the the only thing that really changed that you you increased your bike volume a little bit, or was there there other other sort of aspects of your training that changed? Like for example, could you take us through um, throughout that block what what a typical sort of week would look like for you and, and how how it built over that that period? Um, yeah, so basically just the increase in bike, yeah, doing a few long rides, but also the run as well, um, sort of getting a few runs to about the two and a half hour 
um, volume, two, two and a half hour time, sorry. Um, whereas, you know, prior to the Ironman build, sort of two hours was the maximum um, I'd run. So it's not that much of an increase, but just sort of, you know, going a little bit further, that last half an hour of a two and a half hour run is, is pretty brutal if you, if you haven't done it before. So a typical training week leading in, um, I have to think back now, you're making me, um, yeah, <laughs> think back. But <laughs> I think my volume, overall weekly volume would have maxed out at maybe 26 hours during my build in time in New Zealand. And yeah, that would basically include one pretty long uh, ride. So sort of around the 160 kilometer mark with the runoff. And that would include Ironman intensity in the bike. The run, I might do the first five minutes, I think. I think I did a couple where I did like the first five minutes um, or 10 minutes at Ironman intensity and then, um, you know, easy. Also in the week, I might do, yeah, like I said, a two and a half hour run. Um, but that would probably be, I think, from memory, all easy but maybe closer to the race, I would include a little bit of Ironman intensity into that as well. And other than that, honestly, the rest was just normal. Um, so just, you know, yeah, I guess swim volume was reasonable. Um, and then just, yeah, general sort of volume to make up around 25 hours. Um, and that was sort of probably the last four to five weeks um, leading into that race, if I could. I can't remember if I actually managed that every week um, or if, you know, I had to knock it back with, there's definitely always, you know, a few challenges leading into a nine man where you may, may feel a bit tired or, um, you know, you might feel like you're getting a bit of a sniffle or something. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I had a couple of those leading into the race um, where I, you know, had to knock back my planned training a little bit, but that's all part of it as well. And with those um those longer bikes you were doing, like where you were for that four and five week block, where you you know, you know were getting up one hundred and sixty sort of k's with that run off it, how long would you sort of make that? And um, would you uh, like is that session like every week? Are you targeting that session that long ride with a run? Is like okay, this is probably like my most key Ironman specific session of the week. I really want to nail this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and you know key for those sessions for me was also making sure that I uh, nailed nutrition um, not only to practice for race day but just to make sure that I could bounce back from that um, session and continue on with the rest of my training for the week and you know the following weeks um, it's, it's those sessions that can make you hit the wall in an Ironman build for sure uh, so uh, they were definitely those long rides with the runoff that was basically you know the the king um, session of the week for me. I think um, I think I only did one one session where I did that long sort of 160 kilometer ish ride followed by maybe like a 80 to 90 minute run. Um, I only did one or two of those uh, leading into the race, and the rest of the time it would be a shorter run, maybe even only 30 minutes. Yeah, I think that's all I managed. Um, was just just that, and I don't I don't know that you need too many of those um, leading into an Ironman. Otherwise, you're just really risking overdoing it, especially for your first Ironman. <laughs> yeah, and you and you talked about the food there. I think like a lot of people are interested in this. I, I know it's a question that that I sort of get asked a lot by people um, who maybe uh, haven't done that sort of training. So, what does it? What you're going to do? Like a say, you're going to do a 160k ride with a, an 80 minute minute run off it. So that's like a big training day. You know, that's yep. a six seven hour training day. Um, can you sort of take us through like what a what a day of eating would look like for you? Do you eat beforehand? What are you What are you doing on the bike? What are you What are you consuming? What are you consuming between the bike and the run, if anything? And and then afterwards. Yeah, uh, so definitely eat before a session like that. <laughs> Um, you'd be crazy not to. You're basically starting if you don't uh, eat before you start that that kind of uh, session. You're going to be chasing yourself all day. So yeah, have a good breakfast, uh, and then if I'm going to be doing, you know, one of those, like I said, those key sessions, um, I probably may as well uh, practice race nutrition. So that's aiming for about 90 grams of carbs uh, per hour, and that can be taken in um, any way. But if you take it all in through solids you're going to be eating a buffet on the bike so I generally have liquid nutrition on board 
and then I might stop partway through the run and and get some you know something to actually eat from a cafe or whatever as well um just to make sure that I'm yeah trying to hit that sort of 90 gram per uh 90 grams of carbs per hour on the bike um the run probably I would in those sessions it would just be like take a couple of gels for the first part of the run uh and then if I had been fueling well through the bike in that first part of the run uh that'll see me through to the end of the end of the run really um yeah so that's that's sort of what I would aim for on those key key sessions yeah and I think this is like quite an interesting topic because you talk about how you'd be sort of crazy to to not eat beforehand but there is a real trend particularly lately of people um trying to do a lot of their training fasted and and not just for their easy sessions like um I personally know a lot of people who would try and do it for a session like that and then you know an hour or two in the bike might start eating a little bit but but generally speaking do try and uh, maybe under underdo the eating rather than overdo it. Whereas you're sort of saying the opposite. You're eating beforehand. You're you're trying to get your 90 grams of carbs per hour, um, yeah. even to the point of stopping. You know to to eat something along the way. So yeah, yeah, it it is interesting to see like how different people approach it. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, nutrition is a funny one. I think it is very individual. Um, I think we try and put everyone in the same basket, but it is very individual and. I'm sure there are some athletes who feel comfortable uh, starting a session like that um, fasted, but I think I think it's just important to to I guess take note of how you feel um, if you do something like that, and also the long term effect on you rather than just how you feel that day. And for me, on those key sessions, because they are so important in the build to an Ironman, I want to make sure that I am hitting all the quality and and the session as best I can. Um, and so I don't want to risk, um, under fueling and bonking in a session like that. So that's sort of my, my thinking around those key sessions is it's not worth it, you know, to, to under fuel on a session like that. It's not worth it for the performance, um, or the, yeah, the performance gains that you would get towards, um, the race. You know, if you want to, if you want to, uh, fast for another session, say, uh, a lower quality session or a shorter session. I mean, you know, if that works for you, that works for you. But I, yeah, I would just be very careful around those key sessions to make sure that you're getting the most out of yourself for those. And then around that, so say like afterwards and the following day, are you someone who really focuses on what you eat and and the quality of what you eat? Or are you, because you're doing so much volume, are you just trying to eat whatever? Or on the other side of things, are you someone who who really focuses on, um, on, on maybe, you know, body weight and not trying to eat as much um i purposely tried to eat um or just really stay on top of my nutrition for i'm for this ironman build ironman new zealand uh and what i mean by that is make sure i was eating a lot and that probably at times meant that i was actually eating more than what i needed but for me in my first ironman build um i knew that i couldn't risk making another stress on my body or you know taking on another stress on my body of trying to I guess cut the nutrition really fine leading into a race to optimize what I looked like on the race course I I didn't want to make that mistake in my first time in um, and I'm sure there are performance gains to be made I would say very small ones but you know as professionals we we do try and make very small performance gains at times um, if you do optimize body composition for a race, but I think that that is something that needs to come into play last. Um, <laughs> and I think people probably need to focus more on fueling as you know, everything that they need to perform well before they actually start thinking about, uh, how they look in their tri suit, because it's actually not going to make that much of an improvement to your actual performance by dropping a kg or two. It's probably more where you like to look good when we're out there. <laughs> yeah, I find that like so interesting, and, and I love hearing it. Um, I, I just found myself like just nodding my head listening to you talk. So you said how um, people you, like you want to focus on that last, so that you, you're trying to find sort of like little one percenters to get better. But cutting back food to to drop, you know, an extra kilo is something you would focus on last. Where I feel a lot of people, particularly who, you know, are new to the sport or, you know, even like not even triathlon, but running or, or cycling or, or other sports, 
it might be one of the first things they turn to. Okay, I, I want to get better. I need to lose weight. And they'll, they'll try and drastically lose some weight to get better rather than, rather than you know, focusing on um, performance and training and consistently doing things to make themselves better. They sort of almost look for it as like a, okay, this is first and then everything else later. So it's really interesting to hear you say the complete opposite of that. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think people can get pulled into that um, and thinking, you know, to be as fast as the people out there who are, you know, absolutely crushing it and the professional runners and so on, I have to look like them. I think we need to remember that they look like that because they've spent, I don't know, how many years training and that is just developed over time. That is not through nutritional deficit. Um, that is just through training. And so there's no shortcuts to that. Um, and I think, yeah, I think people just fall into that rather than focusing on um, just training as well as they can. Um, they fall into trying to make shortcuts, I guess, to try and be as fast as the people who are leading the races. And this is something I think often happens when you, particularly if you're new to the sport, like you go to a race and and no matter like what shape you're in, you sort of look at everyone else around, you know, you've got all the event expo, everyone racking their bikes in transition. They're, you know, there might be a thousand, two thousand people in the race. And you yeah. sort of find yourself looking at everyone and being like, oh, they look fit or they look fit or, you know, <laughs> oh, totally. yeah. they're more tan than me and they, they look like they've got a, a better six pack than me. And you start to yeah. get really intimidated and you can sort of, you almost like find yourself sometimes falling into that headspace of, you know, maybe I'm not good enough or maybe I, you know, need to be in better shape or whatever yeah. it is. How, how, how have you, how have you found that over time? Yeah. I mean, I, I we all fall into that and I've, I'm, I have to admit I fall into that too. Um, but it's been funny the number of times where I've turned up to a race and thought that I haven't been in my best uh, shape and then I see other athletes that I might be competing against and think, you know, gosh, they look like they're fit. But then they fall apart. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I've seen that a number of times myself. And so I think, you know, when, when you're trying to, it's a fine line. Um, and I think if you want to try and, yeah, I guess balance along that fine line, then it can easily um, affect you and you can easily, um, yeah, you can easily fall off the performance if you are sort of trying to be as thin as you can as well as race as fast as you can. So I don't know. I think this sport is obsessed with what we look like. Um, I just try and, and be obsessed with how fast I can go really um, and try not to think about, you know, what we look like. It's, it's, I'm there to race fast and I'll do whatever I can to do that. And I encourage other people to do that too, because going fast feels awesome and um, it doesn't matter what we look like as long as, as you know, we're doing the best we can and, and finding out what we can do in the sport. So I know that's sort of what I want to go for in my career and, and I'll continue to follow that. And, you know, it's so much easier focusing on performance rather than what I, what everyone looks like. Cause it's, I don't know, it's more positive and it's, it's fun and it's challenging and yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, that's basically my motto. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I bloody love that. Focus on uh, focus on going fast and having fun, not not worrying about what you look like so much. It's that's actually a like a really great message, um, and I, I love that you've put that out there. And speaking of going fast, what would you say has been um, the best race you've had over your career? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> I, oh, I, you know, I haven't felt like I d I've done very well in the half distance as uh, recently. I think just the switch to Ironman distance has meant that uh, my half races haven't been as strong as what they were prior to moving to the full distance. And I think probably uh, my best race performance was actually in 2019. Maybe I think I, I felt really awesome on one particular day and that was Western Sydney. Um, I remember, um, I've, I won that race, but I just remember feeling really good, um, in all three actually in the swim bike and the run. Um, and that might actually be my fastest run split. I'm not sure. Yeah. I remember that race. I, I was there and I remember, oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah I, I remember I, I wasn't racing. I was meant to, but then I, I had a stress fracture, which is pretty standard um. me, but, uh, <laughs> I remember watching and being like super impressed by you that day. Actually, that was that was probably the first day I really took notice of you and thought, oh, she's world-class. Um, 
<laughs> you, you, I think from memory, you rode like four, like one. Um, I think you rode like two fifteen, and and I reckon you ran almost like sub one twenty, didn't you? Uh, it was some. I, I can't tell you now, but I I'd have to look back. But something like that, yeah. Um, I yeah, I just remember it was a good day. So. <laughs> You, you were a long way ahead of second. That was probably my biggest yeah. takeaway. It was yeah. a long wait for second that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'd sorry say that that's probably been one of the better performances, but I think a lot of them have been good in different ways. Um, I'd have to say Ironman New Zealand was pretty up there as well. And I think I actually finished that race feeling like I could have done a lot of things a lot better. Um, but I think I was just initially being quite hard on myself, which is something I tend to do um, quite easily. And I actually think now, um, after a fair amount of time to sort of process that race, I'm actually quite proud of how I did in that race. And it, partly because, you know, I didn't feel amazing the entire day, but I felt a lot of pressure going into that race for some reason. And there were a lot of sort of unknowns. So I was a little bit anxious going into that race. Obviously, there were a lot of unknowns because I hadn't done a full before. But I was also expected to win. And, you know, I was ranked number one. And, and I remember thinking, this is so weird. I don't know how I'm going to go. But people keep telling me, you know, I'm going to do so well. Can't wait to watch me smash my first Ironman. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm going to smash my first Ironman. <laughs> um, so I think that performance was actually um, a pretty good one for a different reason, I think. You know, I did what I could on the day despite not feeling amazing and, you know, cramping in the swim, I remember. But I remember I never gave up on that day and I actually enjoyed it as well. So I think that's also probably another good performance for me in a slightly different way. Yeah, and I, I, I want to go back and unpack all, all of that. So leading into that that race back in 2019, so you were exclusively sort of training for for Ironman 70.3 or, or middle distance triathlon at that time. Um do you remember back then sort of the stuff you were doing and, and what it looked like? Uh, vaguely. Yeah. 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 Right. How, how much has it changed since, since like compared to what you're doing now? Um, my volume was lower. My overall volume was lower back then. Um, I think, you know, my average would have been under 20 hours a week. Yeah. Which that's like, um, I think with a sport like triathlon where so many people focus on just more, 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 that's quite, quite low volume, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it was sort of the volume that I could handle um, consistently though. Like I haven't been in the sport. I've been in the sport for a, a, quite a few years now, like um, sort of getting on there now, but um, it still was, I was still pretty fresh to half iron distance racing um, at that point. And so my ability to handle volume um, that was sort of where it was at. And I was also working, I think, 30 hours a week at that time. Um, so that was sort of what was realistic for me to uh, maintain consistently. And I think that is what was key. It was, we sort of chased the the big volume, but then after a while, and I've probably been um, guilty of this more recently with the Ironman distance, but we chased the big volume and then hit the wall. Um, and that means that our training is a little less consistent than what it could be if we had actually just uh, dialed the volume back a little bit and remained more consistent across, you know, weeks and months. Uh, and I think I did that really well leading into 2019. Um, I didn't have a huge sort of expectation on, my, on myself to meet a certain um, volume of training every week because uh, I guess in my mind, I didn't really know what was a normal volume for an for a professional athlete and also I was working so that sort of um prevented me from going too crazy but yeah and I remember because I think the volume wasn't super high I was able to include a bit more intensity but not all not all the time it would only be in blocks towards races yeah so I think you know I think in I think the key is really just consistency and finding that sort of sweet spot of training that you can not only do, but also absorb um, with whatever else you have going on in your life and try not to go too crazy above that really. Yeah. That's actually like, that's just crazy what I've just heard because for people who don't know, and I actually, I don't do any fact checking, but I've got a pretty good memory of races. I reckon you won like five or six, half distance like middle distance races that year and big ones like you won like 
I'm pretty sure you won Ironman 70.3 Taupo and, and yeah. Yeah. Western Sydney and Sunny Coast that year. Like yeah. they're big races and yeah. you, you were working 30 hours a week and, and able to win those races. Yeah, yeah, I was. I, I did a block where I wasn't working. I actually went overseas and trained with Jocelyn McCauley for a bit. Um, she was doing Kona and I did a bit of training with her. I didn't do all her training, but some of it. And so that was a little bit of time away from work during that year. But yeah, I was. Um, and it, it worked. Yeah. So wow. um, yeah, I guess consistently pay you know pays off. I, I'm mind blown by that. How did you go with managing 30 hours work a week and training sort of, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week? Like, how were you feeling? Um, I was lucky in that my work was from home. Um, and that makes a huge difference, I think, because I had no commute and also it was pretty flexible. Um, my boss was very, um, he was a great guy and he was very nice to me. And, and if I had a training session to do, um, I could do it. And then as long as I got my work done, he was happy. So it was flexible. It was relatively flexible um, and from home. So that helped. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't super easy. <laughs> it may have looked easy because I was getting really great um, results that year. But I remember thinking that year that it wasn't wasn't that sustainable probably long term um and that's part of the reason why i um became full-time um at the beginning of 2020 if i got my years right yeah it must be yeah so i yeah it was pretty tough it was just busy really and not a lot of time for a lot else um so i remember thinking that you know maybe i should look at um going full-time athlete um and my partner agreed to. So, um, it, yeah, I mean, I miss, I miss work in some ways, but, um, it's very nice now to not have to squeeze too much into my day. <laughs> and do you think that since that your performance, like, have you noticed that your performance has gotten a lot better since you shifted away from, from working, um, full time? Um, yeah, it's sort of hard to judge because I've also moved to the full distance and I haven't focused on the half. So I don't have um, like a direct, I guess, I don't feel like I have a direct comparison between um, the two, but I've definitely, I feel in my training that I'm, I'm able to absorb a whole lot more training now. Um, and my numbers in, in training have definitely increased, especially on the bike and in the swim as well, actually, probably, maybe all three, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I feel probably more it's shown more in training than racing so far for me that um, the sort of the last couple of years of full-time training hit, are paying off and, you know, I'm able to do and absorb um, a lot more. So hopefully um, that'll start to show in some more races as well. Um, and, and what's your big goal at the moment? Because you've talked about this shift to Ironman. Are you just thinking Ironman world champs and, and that's it? Or, or what, are you, what are you training for at the moment? Right now, um, yeah, I will be building towards the Ironman World Champs in St. George, but I do want to also focus back onto the half distance at some stage, um, and that might be actually after St. George. Uh, I do sort of miss the half distance training and racing um, and actually being able to, it feels like it's been a long time since I've turned up to a half distance race, um, feeling like I've actually prepared for that race or focused on that race, I guess. So I guess partly because of COVID as well, there's been sort of limited opportunities. But yeah, I definitely want to get back to trying to get a bit more speed back, um, particularly in my run uh, and doing a few halves, hopefully next year throughout our winter. Yeah. And and when you do make that shift back, do you think you'll go and train more like you were in 2019 with, you know, maybe doing 20 hours a week and, and then that, that, that 30 hours you're not spending working, you'll just be relaxing? Or do you think now that you've got that more time and a bit more of a volume base, you're going to stay with a bit of a higher volume training program, but just keep some, like maybe more intensity across all three? I think I'll try and find, I aim to find like a sweet spot. Um, I sort of talk about that sweet spot, like, uh, you know what I'm talking about, but sort of find that volume of training that I am able to consistently um, absorb. And that will probably now be more than 19 or whatever hours it was back in 2019, um, just because I've had more time in the sport and I've done bigger volume training since then. Um, but 
I think what this last sort of year has shown me um, is that consistency is really the key thing. And rather than, you know, ramping up training drastically towards a race, um, I'll definitely go back to sort of just, um, yeah, just trying to maintain a consistent volume rather than, um, yeah, building into crazy hours that like I have been doing for the Ironman distance. Um, and then that should also allow a, a bit more intensity in the run, hopefully. So it will probably change slightly. Um, and I think I need to do that anyway, um, just to bring back a bit more speed in my run at some stage soon. Um, so yeah, I'll be looking forward to that for sure. But yeah, we'll see. I guess I'll have to talk to my coach about that too. <laughs> he sort of makes the calls a lot on that as well. So yeah, I'm actually interested in that. So, um, for everyone listening, sort of who are you coached by and, and with that relationship as a professional athlete, how does it work? Are you, um, are you just getting sent a program and you're doing everything that's written down for you by the book or is it a bit more collaborative than that? Um, it's a bit more collaborative than that. Yeah. So Bevan McKinnon from Fitter Coaching coaches me um, and he is based here in New Zealand as well. He actually came traveling with me this or we came, we went traveling with him. I don't know which way around it was um, this year. So I actually had him face to face for six months. Um, and we actually did a lot of my training, I guess, based off how I felt each day, rather than sticking to or planning ahead and sticking to a program. It was, it was more of wake up in the morning and, and if I feel tired, then we do a recovery session or if I'm feeling good, then um, we might do something with a bit more intensity involved or a longer session. So that's been an interesting way to train uh, this year. And it, it definitely has its positives um, because you sort of, you make the most of the days where you're feeling good and you, you can rein it in when you're not feeling so good a lot easier and you don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> but it's also mentally, it was probably, it was a little bit tough not having a, a plan at times, I, I probably think. And I think a lot of us do like to have a plan written down so that we can sort of prepare for it. So I think um, it worked it worked quite well this year, but I think we will probably adapt it slightly uh, moving forward if we have more face-to-face -face time and that um, have a plan in place, but um, also, yeah, that sort of changing training, but depending on how you feel in the morning is, um, is a really awesome way to go. And it did mean that I was able to put together quite a few hours of, you know, big, big weeks of training over winter, which was definitely my probably my most consistent winter um, yet. So that's pretty exciting. But yeah, so he, he does have sort of control over the program, but it's definitely collaborative in that I tell him how I feel and he'll adjust it yeah. depending on, you know, what that, you know, what my day uh, or how I feel in the morning when I wake up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, and I think for people who have those sort of planned um, programs weeks in advance, I think there's definitely benefit in adjusting those if required rather than sticking to them um, and just ticking the boxes every day. Um, I think a lot of people can be a little bit scared to um, deviate from a planned training program in case, you know, they miss out on something or they feel guilty because they don't do a session when they're not, you know, because they're not feeling very good. But I think it's definitely key to, go by feel a bit as well in training. Um, otherwise you can end up in a bit of trouble. And for you, what might be like some signs that, Hey, I need to adjust this training here. So like, say hypothetically, um, is it all based on, on how you're feeling when you're waking up or might you start a session and get into it and, and then realize and, and how would you go about making those adjustments? It's yeah. I mean, it's a combination of, of a few things for sure. Um, how I feel in the morning, but also, sessions are adjusted depending on how I feel throughout them as well. Yeah, often often we start a session and, and we may think that we feel tired in the morning, but then we start it and we feel awesome or vice versa. You know, we might feel good when we wake up and then we start a session and realize that our legs just have nothing. So um, I, think, I think we need to be prepared to adjust a session whenever it needs to be adjusted really. Uh, and you know, it might be that you get through five of six reps um, in a session and then you're just like, whoa, I feel, a little bit toast um so you don't don't do the last one <laughs> even though you really want to um and you think oh just one more won't hurt i think yeah i 
it's it is pretty hard to sort of differentiate i think between um what is good fatigue and what is bad fatigue in training and that's something that we learn over time the longer we do the sport and so yeah i guess i don't know i guess it's sort of we sort of have to try and be as aware as as we can of how we feel when we're training and not be afraid to admit when we may need to um back it off or not finish a session yeah that's that's really um that's like that's really sensible advice and uh i think often like it, it like the 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 want to just continue to train you know by the book is it comes from like you said like people just feel guilty if they don't and sometimes we disregard how we actually feel based on what's written on like a piece of paper or on like your you know your training account so yeah yeah that's really like sensible advice which is i think very valuable in, in a sport like triathlon which at times can be very you know the opposite of sensible um going into like some specifics for you um what kind of like sessions are you doing so like well, let's start with with your bike because for me like looking like the outside looking in your bike just seems like such a strength and, and we talked a little bit about what you did leading into ironman new zealand but just like general week to week stuff like are you just doing volume or are you doing sessions and then if you are doing sessions what what might they look like yeah um, it changes throughout the year, depending on um, where I am sort of around races and the season, I guess. Um, there will be times where I just do volume um, and easy riding. And then there's times where I start to introduce, you know, intensity. Um, I do really enjoy intensity on the bike. And so <laughs> I have to learn to, to get better at just doing the volume only uh, times throughout the year where no intensity is included. But um, yeah, I mean, for me this year, when I first went to Noosa, the first few weeks was really only volume. Um, and we tried to tick off a decent amount of uh, bike volume. I think it was probably maybe an average of 15 hours a week, which is pretty significant. And then after a few weeks, started to introduce sessions with intensity. And that'll usually include like a session of um, like your classic 10 by three minute VO2 session. Uh, and then that will progress to um, eight by five minute. And then, you know, you sort of, yeah. And I, I guess those, those two sessions are pretty, they turn up in my program quite regularly. Um, there's also a session that, uh, another session that turns up into my program quite regularly. And that's, um, where you do 45 seconds, um, really hard, hard, uh, and I think, oh no, maybe it's 40 seconds, really hard, 20 seconds, easy. And you repeat that. Um, I think it's like nine to 13 times, depending on how you feel. And so, yeah, those are probably key sessions. I mean, no session is um, is going to make you magically an awesome biker. Um, I think it's just including consistent volume to start with, and then introducing some intensity um, over time when you know when you can, and just variation in the in the training as well um, leading into a race. Yeah, and I guess another thing when you get closer to races is just the um, race intensity, practicing that um, as well. Yeah. And th those sessions, so they're like, they're very hard sessions. They're all sort of like those really, um, really like high end VO2 sessions. Yeah. Um, do you think, are they in your program? Because like you said, you just enjoy that or is it just a coincidence that, that they're what you enjoy and they're the kind of sessions you do um, and, and rid them because like the, like, I guess a session like that, they're sort of super specific. So do you do all of them indoors on, on the trainer so that you can get super specific or are you doing them outdoors? Uh, usually indoors on a trainer. Yeah. I do a lot of my training usually indoor on a trainer. Um, I did a, a few more outside when I was in Noosa just because, um, the riding there allowed me to, um, there was like quite a good hill, uh, I think it's called Garmin Hill, um, nearby that was quite good to do VO2 if it's on. So I did do some of them outside, but I mean, I, yeah, I do really like those. I mean, to be honest, it's sort of hard to pick um, a few sessions that are regulars in my training because it does definitely change depending on um, what I need to focus on. You know, there's also I do big gear efforts at times um, and sweet spot efforts and, and so on. I think, honestly, just variety is great in biking and there's no one or two sessions that I could give people that's going to make them really awesome. Um, you could do you know, 
a huge range of different sessions um, that will just help lift your biking, I guess, a bit. Yeah, so I sort of find it hard to, yeah, give those, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I guess your message is still the same as what it, what it sort of has been throughout this throughout this podcast is that consistency is what matters to you and and you take real pride in, in finding consistency in your program and then over time that makes you, uh, you know, that, that leads to improved performance. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And so, so that message is sort of just the same. You, you, you know, you incorporate a lot of different sessions, some because you love them, some because you're leading into a race and you get specific. Um, yeah, so it, that makes sense based on what you've been saying. Um, and, and with your swimming, sort of how much are you swimming and, and do you swim with a squad or is it all alone? I've done, a, I've done both in the past. So I've had times where I have gone regularly to um, squad swims um, and then long periods where I've actually swum either on my own or just with one other. I actually find that my swimming improves the most if I swim out of a squad, which um, is sort of, I guess, probably quite surprising for many because I do generally, like many, I swim further if I'm in a squad because it's just easier to rack up volume when you're surrounded by other people. Um, and I do tend to also swim harder when I'm, when I'm in a squad because of, I guess, the competitive environment. But I actually find that if I take myself out of a squad environment and I focus more on technique I start to swim a lot better um, and that's also what I found sort of this last year so when I was back in New Zealand before I left um, for Australia I was swimming in a squad um, and you know you turn up to the pool every morning you thrash yourself and you feel like you're putting in so much effort into your training and surely you're getting so much faster and then I went away and again I I swam a little bit on my own to start with, and then I found a squad to join. So I did a little bit with the squad there as well. Um, and it sort of, and that was leading into the Sunshine Coast 70.3. I didn't have a great swim. <laughs> I didn't have a great day actually at Sunshine Coast. And so after that, I decided to pull myself out of the squad and I swam on my own with my coach. And while the volume of swimming each week didn't really, it didn't change, um, I guess just having the time when I was swimming to really think about what I was doing and focus on technique. And we did do some really high quality sessions as well. Like, and that's why I think it's really cool if you have someone else to train with, because you have someone there to push you a little bit. I, my swimming, I was swimming faster than I ever have before we left the States, um, before, we came, before we came home. And I think that was just because I allowed myself to really focus on technique as well as do some intensity in my sessions, but just not all. I find that um, swim squads are funny. I mean, they're awesome because they're so fun and you feel like you're really getting a good workout, but it's you have to be really careful that you're not doing all your swimming at the same intensity, which is actually probably too high. Um, and you're really just, I don't know, bearing yourself, but not getting a lot of fitness benefit. It's almost like training in a zone three all the time, um, like if we were running or biking. Uh, and so I think taking myself out of the squad meant that I was doing my sessions where they had intensity at a much higher intensity, but with more rest. Uh, and so I would recover and, and then swim them faster. So I think, yeah, um, swimming for me, I have to be, I, I know from experience that I swim better if I focus on really executing the sessions um well like you wouldn't in the bike in the run i find it funny how um on the bike in the run you know we have these sessions where say the 10 by three minute session on the bike really high quality and then you really you really rest uh, and recover in the the off parts of that session um but in in the swim we kind of forget to do that you know you might do a a set of uh 10 by 10 by 200s and we tend to like do say 20, 15 to 20 seconds rest in between. And it's like, well, when are you going to do a 10 by three minute effort on the bike with only 10 to 20 seconds rest? Exactly. We usually take, you know, three minutes, four minutes rest in between or something like that. So I think if we apply that mentality to the swim, we'll actually swim faster. Um, but in order for me to do that, I have to stay out of the, the squad environment because I find I get like caught up in the sort of swimmer's as fast as you can and as much as you can in an hour and a half. 
I think about this all the time and I'm so glad you've just brought the, that up. And it's the first time it's been brought up on this podcast. Um, but I, I talk, I talk to this, I like in my own training when I'm training with other people and at swim squads, I talk about this all the time. It, it just doesn't, it's never made sense to me. Why do we, why do we as like maybe as triathletes or, but even probably as swimmers, why is there this obsession with like very, very, very short rest interval, no matter how yeah. hard the session, like, so you might do, like you might do 10 400s, which in nature is, is super aerobic, um, even even if it is like high end aerobic. And then you might do 10 50 meters, which, you know, is is in nature anaerobic, but you might have five seconds, 10 seconds rest in between each of them. Like that doesn't make any sense from, from a physiological standpoint, but that's how it is. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I find even in swim squads, you end up, you know, you finish a, a set and then everyone's rushing to get their pool gear on for the next one uh, and they're pushing up the wall as fast as they can and it's like why do we need to do that yes, <laughs> it's exactly just, it's like i think everyone develops this mentality just, just to fit in as much as they can in the time of the pool yeah or like race race each other like it might be like okay yeah. um, i want to be the one to get this set done first even if it means like so yeah. the rest interval <laughs> might be written as 15 seconds which is already crazy short but someone might leave on 13 seconds just to like yeah i know yeah, <laughs> yeah. even if, but they'll say oh yeah i did you know 10 200s on 15 seconds rest but they were actually doing on 12 and they it's yeah, it's a weird totally. mentality in a swim squad isn't it it really is yeah it is and i like i love swimming in a squad because it's just it's so fun to have people around you but um I think, yeah, I think if we swam a little smarter, it would, it would also benefit us swimming <laughs> a little more. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually think like every triathlete listening to this can, can learn from that because I think it's a mistake that every single one of us makes and, and almost cause it's ingrained into us because no one enters yeah. triathlon as an expert in the sport, do they? Like that we all enter it no. trying to learn and what we're taught from swim squads or you know, from someone else who we swim with, who's been to swim squads is exactly what we've just talked about. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's something we should all think about a little bit more and and maybe implement just like slow down, slow down a little bit, take your time, do have a bit more rest, focus on quality, swim a bit easier when, when you're supposed to swim easy. Yeah. And I think also have variation in your swim sessions. Um, so I think a lot of people just swim a lot of, um, you know, tempo effort or, sort of not easy enough to be super easy, but yeah, just sort of middle of the range intensity and duration in swimming. But I think a lot of people could gain a lot more if they did those fast 25s with a decent amount of rest or fast 50s with a decent amount of rest, as well as just um, slogging through, you know, the 400s or whatever. Um, I think triathletes don't do the really short, sharp uh, stuff that, actual swimmers do um and that's why they're so much faster yeah so i think more variation in swimming is definitely something that a lot of triathletes um could consider maybe (laughs) yeah hey hannah what's a session that you have done in the pool like say like a a shorter faster session that you think develops that top end that that you think people could do oh i mean just it's pretty simple we're just 50s hard um and don't do you know it sometimes it won't even be many it might be six 50s um but you do them as fast as you can and you recover with like 90 seconds to yeah about 90 seconds probably after each um 50 just like include that every now and again in a swim session um and people people will look at that and think, oh my gosh, it's going to take so long and you don't swim very far at all. And it doesn't look that great on like, you know, Strava or whatever, but you know, something different like that, I think is hugely beneficial compared to what um, most triathletes swim squads would do. Um, and if you spend time with a, an actual swim squad, which I haven't done a huge amount myself because I tend to get my butt kicked, but um, they do a lot of that. They really do have a huge variation in sort of in their training. Um, and that's how they get really fast. So, um, I think it's just something to consider for, um, triathletes is just, yeah, make sure you've got a huge range of speed, um, intensity and volume in in your swim training. Yeah. And then moving on to your run. So how, how does your sort of like weekly, weekly run training, um, shape up? Um, a lot of the time I don't have intensity in my, program in the run um it's just easy running 
Uh, and that's really just to prevent injury, basically. And so, you know, I try and get run volume up to uh, around 60Ks of running per week uh, before I start introducing um, intensity. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think for running, consistency and volume uh, is definitely more beneficial than including those um, key sessions. They sort of come into play closer to races that are key races. Um, yeah, so that's sort of how my tr my run training is sort of planned. Um, so most of the time it looks pretty boring, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And, and with that easy training, um, are you someone who, you know, likes to get out and, and explore and run through trails and, and, and through, through the bush or, yeah. or are you just always doing it? Like, are you the person who does it on the same 6K loop every single day? No, I like to try and change it up, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I try and change it up. I get bored if it's the same um, loops every time and I find if it is the same loop every time I start, it's too easy to get competitive with yourself when you should be going easy. So um, if you find yourself uh, struggling to slow down on the easy runs, go just go for an adventure run or something, I think is a good way to go about it. Um, so I do, yeah, I do try and get out and explore, but uh, we've recently just moved house, but where I was before, there were so many trails nearby, uh, sort of like urban trails, but they were all like gravel and they all linked up. And it was really cool because I could just go exploring and find new ones all the time. So, um, yeah, I've been super lucky in that I've generally had pretty good places to explore when I go running and often I also travel. We have a few really cool forests nearby to run in. Um, and so, yeah, I love trail running. When I started triathlon, I, I was doing Xterra. So the off-road stuff is like, yeah, I love it. So, um, and it builds strength as well without even trying. So, um, yeah, definitely like to explore. <laughs> and, um, you said, you said like most of your training, like with your, with your run is sort of just easy, particularly, um, you know, in, in a phase where you're, you're not really targeting a race. Um, so with that, do you focus on pace or are you focusing on like another external bit of data, like heart rate, or, or are you just going off like internally how you feel? Um, it's usually off heart rate and I guess a little bit off how I feel as well. Um, I mean, not a little bit, it is off how I feel and a little bit looking at my pace, but I try not to get caught into looking at pace as tempting as it can be, because then I find like I start to try and go a little bit faster as we all tend to. Um, so I think, yeah, using a, something like heart rate and just feel is a good option, but feel alone. Sometimes you can feel awesome. And then, um, if you went off that, you may go too fast for sort of where you are in your training plan. So um, yeah, heart rate is great because it definitely, keep, you know, it's a good metric um, to make sure that you're staying within your zones. Yeah, basically, it's, yeah, is what I go off. Yeah. And for you, what does that look like? So what sort of, if, you, if you're going to go do, um, you know, like between a 5 and 10K easy run, um, what kind of heart rate are you, are you, trying, to, are you trying to sit at? Uh, is it under 140? Um, for me so um, and when I race a half Ironman for example my heart rate is mid 170s yeah so a massive difference yeah yeah I think like a lot of people do get caught up in in doing their easy runs too fast don't they um, so to hear you say that like that's that's very easy compared to 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 what you can run at so that that sort of might give people confidence totally and to be honest I actually could probably go easier um, and I think I should actually I do as well get caught into especially if I've been running consistently for a long time I get caught into thinking I can uh run a little faster than what I need to <laughs> uh you sort of get you know a little bit confident I guess but um for those easy runs you don't need to run yeah I mean I need to tell myself over and over again just slow down there's no point in running any faster you're not going to get any more benefit and so yeah I guess you know, it's just time on the feet for those runs um and building strength rather than building the fitness save that for later or like I guess the cardiovascular fitness I mean yeah I mean you will be doing that as well but it's just sort of you know what I mean I think yeah it's very easy to get caught into running your your easy runs too fast but um heart rate is a good heart rate doesn't lie I guess <laughs> yeah and, and I'm all I'm always really interested in this um so with with running like I know like myself um the reasons why I I might like run a little bit too fast like so say 
for example, you go out and you've just got like an easy 30 minute run or an easy 60 minute run. And we all like have, I think, I think everyone falls into the trap. It's very hard to let yourself run slow. And particularly maybe now in, in the, the era of, um, of social media where almost all of us, you know, might upload our run to Strava or, yeah. or some sort of app like that, or, or even if we're not, we still look at what other people do on that. So we're always yeah. maybe comparing ourselves to other people. So like for me, for example, I might be going like, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to put this on Strava because, you know, it's, it's too slow and people might judge me or, and that yeah. sort of thing. So, so I run way too fast and then all it does is have a, like a negative impact on me. So with you mm. hearing you say that, that you even like you think you could slow down more, what, yeah. why is the reason, like what is your reason why you think you maybe jog a bit too fast sometimes? Um, honestly, I think it's if I, if I feel good, um, and I just, I like running, I don't know. I, I get caught into running a little bit fast. If I'm out, if I'm out there and I'm like, Oh, my legs feel good. Let's make the most of this. Yeah. That sort of mentality, but that, that actually may not be what, uh, is needed in my current, you know, in the program that I've got, you know, maybe I should be running, uh, slow and feeling good because the next day I have a hard bike so I think for me it's if I feel good I feel like I you know I should make the most of this rather than actually sticking to the plan and realizing that um, there's a reason that this run is easy um, and so I should just you know hold it back I guess I, I guess until um, until I, I actually am meant to to train hard yeah so I guess that's why I get caught into into running too fast usually um and just like a, a quick one. So we've talked about sort of like you, you're swimming, you're riding and you're running, but what else do you do um, to, to try and get the most out of your performance? I guess, particularly now that you're full time, is there, is there like a few other things that you really focus on that you think you get big gain in performance from? Um, I mean, strength training is something that I try to do. Um, it's not that easy to do if you're traveling because you have to have access to a good gym and, and often I find the gyms, um, overseas are extremely expensive, um, unless you're a member, but, um, I think there's definitely a place for strength training, um, and our training for sure, especially for injury prevention. And so I do try to try to include that into my training program at least once a week. Um, the other, something else I'm, I do leading into a race, um, is sometimes heat work. So sauna. Um, and I find that I get a lift in sort of how I'm feeling in my training after including some sauna work into my training. Yeah, so especially if a race is going to be hot that I'm sort of aiming for. So, um, you know, jumping into the sauna after a, a run session or something like that is definitely, yeah, something that is included into my training at times, but not all the time. And other than that, just general recovery, I guess, you know, we only get benefit from the training that we actually absorb, not just do. So I always try and tell myself that. Um, and that sort of motivates me to make sure that I'm keeping on top of my recovery because it's something that is easy to sort of neglect if, yeah, at times. So yeah, just, you know, making sure I'm, I'm resting in between sessions if I need it, or, you know, could even be listening to a meditation app. Um, if, if I'm feeling a bit tired in the middle of the day in between sessions or, yeah, just making sure I'm eating properly and, and getting protein in after sessions as well. Just all those, you know, the usual sort of things that everyone knows about. But um, sometimes if, if you, I guess, if life gets busy, you can neglect those. Um, I guess now that I'm training full time, I, I have time to do all those things properly and, and keep on top of them, which is really nice. Yeah. And with your, with your heat work that you talked about, so how long might you do that that for? So is it like, oh, for four weeks I'm gonna jump in the sauna, you know, uh, after three yeah. sessions for the week? Or how do like how does it specifically look for you? Uh, yeah, I usually get help with um, sort of planning that from my coach and from a few other people who know a bit about um, heat work. Um, but yeah, it's usually pretty similar to that actually for a few weeks leading into a race and a few times a week after key or after sorry not key sessions after run sessions or something like that is pretty good because you're already quite warm after a run session um after a pool or after a swim session the sauna isn't as beneficial because your body temperature 
is already quite low, so it takes a long time for it to heat up in the sauna and then actually get benefits from it. So, yeah, it's usually only a few weeks at a time I'll do that. But, um, yeah, for me in the past, I mean, everyone's different, but for me I've definitely felt benefits from doing that for certain races. So it's something that I'll probably continue to include from time to time uh, going forward. And have you ever gone and done like altitude camps or, or, or are you just a heat proponent? Uh, I haven't done an altitude camp yet, but I want to try one for sure. Um, maybe next year, actually, because uh, it's very similar. It's very similar um, benefits that you get from the heat adaptation and the, you know, the altitude as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, again, everyone's different with altitude as well, but I'm definitely curious to find out uh, how I go <laughs> um, doing a block at altitude. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, I, I reckon we might we might call it there. That was like really awesome, Hannah. You um, you just gave so much really valuable insight, and and I think something that that I just took from that, like I, I was, I, I was like I, I really learned a lot about um, about maybe not getting carried away with certain things that don't matter, uh, and, and just focusing on on performance through being consistent. And I know a lot of people say that, but, but you put it across in a couple of like ways that really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm hoping they do with other people as well. Cause, cause I thought there was some, some real gems in there. Cool. Awesome. Um, I hope, hope it's helpful. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Hey, uh, are you, uh, have you still got a session to do today? Uh, yeah, I'm going to get on the bike this afternoon. Yeah. What, what's planned today? Uh, just an easy bike this afternoon to go. So, um, yeah, and then hopefully in the next sort of 24 hours we'll get our last COVID result back and I'll be free. So awesome. then I can get back into proper training, which will be nice. Yeah, well, I hope that happens for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thanks Thanks so much, Anna. I really appreciate your time. Cool. Thank you for having me on.